Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Allahu akbar, Allahu akbar. Allahu akbar, Allahu akbar. Ashhadu an la Alhamdulillah <laughs> يقول الله جل وعلا في كتابه الكريم يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم أعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما أما بعد فإن أصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم وشر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار أعاذنا الله وإياكم منها أجمعين أما بعد Dear brothers and sisters Is it possible for us to learn anything from crabs. 
What could we possibly learn from crabs? A lot, actually. There's a great deal we can learn just from observing the life of crabs. There is something called the crabs in a bucket phenomenon. And it refers to a pattern that has been observed from watching the behavior of crabs in fishermen's boats. When the fishermen catch the crabs and they put them in the bucket, the crabs will inevitably try to escape. And usually it's one crab out of the bunch trying to climb ever so slowly out of the bucket. And it's been observed that whenever this crab is getting near to the edge, to the top of the bucket, one of the other crabs reaches up and pulls it down. And no matter how many crabs try to climb out of that bucket, there's always one crab in the bunch ready to pull it down. This is called the crab in a bucket phenomenon. This occurs repeatedly, and no matter how many times a crab climbs up, it gets pulled back down. And for this reason, when fishermen cap catch crabs and put them in the bucket, they don't even bother putting on a lid. Why would they put a lid on the bucket? They know that no matter what happens, no matter how close any of those crabs come to the, to the edge, they will never get to the top and pull themselves off the other side and escape with their life. There will always be one of those crabs ready to pull them right back down. And this is what we call the crabs in a bucket phenomenon. The crabs in the bucket analogy is a very powerful teaching tool that has been used in the context of human interactions because this is what we call the crab mentality. And that is when human beings view and treat each other exactly as crabs treat other crabs trying to escape that bucket. But there's a difference between human beings and crabs because when crabs are doing this, when they're pulling those other crabs down before they get out of the bucket, they are behaving instinctually. This is their natural instinct to pull one down to maintain the group cohesion to avoid being eaten by a predator. They operate as a group. So they pull one down to stay as a large group. That is their instinctual behavior as crabs. But as humans, we don't have such an instinct. It is something else entirely when we as human beings behave like crabs in a barrel, pulling someone down whenever they start to rise up. When we as humans embrace the crab mentality, we call it something else entirely. We call it envy. We call it jealousy. We call it, in Arabic, hasad. This is the crab mentality, dear brothers and sisters. And it's all too common. And we've heard lots of stories and maybe we've experienced things ourselves. From the newlyweds, or those who open up a business, or those who buy something, or who acquire something, or who take some steps to improve their life. How often, when these things happen, do we find someone lurking around the corner, ready to feel envy and jealousy towards them? Dear brothers and sisters, envy, hasad, is one of the worst diseases of the heart. And some of the scholars say that it is the root of all of the spiritual diseases of the heart because it is one of the very first sins ever committed. We see in the narrative in the Qur'an about Satan 
and his refusal to prostrate to Adam السلام, This refusal stemmed from pride, it stemmed from conceit, it stemmed from envy, envying the rank of Adam And so for this reason, the scholars tell us that envy is a satanic sin. It's not like a sin that is rooted in our human biology. You know, if a person is gazing at the opposite gender with desires in a haram way, that is a sin, but it's rooted in biology. So there's some connection to something natural there. But envy and jealousy, these things are not rooted in our biology. They are satanic in origin. And so some of the scholars say that the very first sin committed was the envy of Satan towards Adam. But you may say, Satan is not a human being. What is the first sin among human beings? If Satan's sin was envy, which resulted in pride, which resulted in refusing to prostrate to Adam, what was the first sin of human beings? Well, we go to the story of Adam and we note, as we have many times before, that Prophet Adam is a Nabi from the Anbiya of Allah, a Prophet from the Prophets of Allah. And therefore, he is ma'asum. He is protected from sin. So his eating from the tree, we do not consider to be a willful act of disobedience. It was done out of forgetfulness. So we ask that question again. If Iblis committed the sin of envy, but he's a jinn, he's shaitan, not a human being, what is the first sin committed among human beings? It wasn't the sin, it wasn't Adam السلام, eating from the tree. The first sin, it appears, was also envy. And that story, that story of envy as the first sin among human beings, fallible human beings, is recorded in the Qur'an. And it is in the story of the two sons of Adam, Cain and Abel. And we call them in Arabic, Qabil and Habil, Cain and Abel. Cain is the guilty party in the story. And Abel is the righteous individual and the victim. We have to consider the significance of this, dear brothers and sisters. This is a narrative in the Qur'an. The very first story of human beings who were fallible and flawed is a story that showcases the severity of this disease we call envy or hasad. Allah tells this story in the Qur'an and there are layers and layers of teachings for us in our daily life. We just reflect on this story. In Surah Al-Ma'idah, Allah Ta'ala tells us the story of Cain and Abel and He says, وَاتْلُوا عَلَيْهِمْ نَبَأَ أَبْنَ آدَمَ بِالْحَقِّ إِذْ قَرَّبَا قُرْبَانًا فَتُقُبِّلَ مِنْ أَحَدِهِمَا وَلَمْ يُتَقَبَّلْ مِنَ الْآخَرِ قَالَ لَأَقْتُلَنَّكَ قَالَ إِنَّمَا يَتَقَبَّلَ اللَّهُ مِنَ الْمُتَّقِينَ In the beginning of the story, Allah says, and relate to them the story of Adam's two sons, Cain and Abel. When they offered an offering, and it was accepted from one of them, but it was not accepted from the other. He said, I will kill you. He said, only, Allah accepts only from the righteous. So who is saying what? Cain is saying, I will kill you. And in reality, he's not just saying it with that kind of sense. He doesn't say, Sa'aqtuluk. 
He says, لَأَقْتُلَنَّكْ Which is saying with intensity, with anger, and with rage, I will kill you. And his brother Abel responded, Allah only accepts from those who are God-fearing. So who is Cain and who is Abel? Cain, we know from the tafsir, was a farmer. He was involved in agriculture. And Abel was a pastoralist. He was a shepherd. He was not a farmer. He was somewhat nomadic in his existence, going here and there with his flocks of sheep. And these occupations are two prototypes of, of human behavior and how societies and civilizations arise. Because with the farmer you have the sedentary life, and with the pastoralist you have the nomadic life. You have these two prototypes within these two sons of Adam. So they were both instructed to each offer a sacrifice, a qurban. What we call qurbani in Islam is a sacrifice. For them, the qurban, the offering or the sacrifice, is what we would consider sadaqah. Like their qurban is what we would call sadaqah or charity. They were both told to offer some offering of charity. And what did they do? It is mentioned in the tafsir that Abel, the shepherd, the pastoralist, took his largest, plumpest, healthiest, nicest sheep and used that as the offering, sacrificing that. That was his act of charity. What did his brother Cain offer? as an offering. Remember, he was a farmer. What did he offer? The tafsir works mentioned that he offered vegetables. But it wasn't just vegetables in a generic sense. They were the worst vegetables that he had. You go to the grocery store, you know how you go to the grocery store, and you look for vegetables, and you move away the ones that are bruised and ugly looking, and you look for the nicer ones to put in your bag, Cain took the worst of the vegetables in his crop, put them together, and offered them as his offering, his sacrifice. And so, Allah Ta'ala accepted the offering of Abel, but did not accept the offering of Cain. So, when this happened, Cain said to Abel, out of anger, I will kill you. He got jealous, he got enraged, that his sacrifice would be accepted and his would be rejected. And why was his rejected and why was his brother's accepted? It is very obvious. The ulama of tafsir mentioned it is because Abel offered a sacrifice based on sincerity. He had the proper attitude when offering the sacrifice, which is reverence and fear of God. Whereas Cain, his brother, who offered only these old bruised vegetables, offered a lowly and unfitting sacrifice. And so he told him, Allah only accepts from those who are reverent of God, who have fear of God. Their sacrifices are accepted. Those who do not have that reverence and sincerity will not find their sacrifices accepted. But here's where the story takes a deadly twist. Cain could have accepted the advice. Maybe he messed up. He messed up. But maybe he could have taken the advice and done better the next time. But instead of taking the advice and taking it to heart, 
instead of realizing his own error and correcting himself and correcting his intentions, he welled up with hasad, with envy. And that envy turned to anger. And that anger turned to rage. And that rage turned to a desire to kill his very own brother. And that desire turned into an intention that he carried out. And he said it, لأقتلنك. It doesn't just mean, I'm going to kill you. He's saying it with some rage. I am going to murder you. That's what he's saying. But how did his brother Abel respond to this threat? The Quran tells us how he responded. Allah Ta'ala says that he said, لَإِن بَسَطَ إِلَيَّ يَدَكَ لِتَقْتُلَنِي مَا أَنَا بِبَاسَطٍ إِلَيْكَ لِأَقْتُلَكَ إِنِّي أَخَافُ اللَّهَ رَبَّ الْعَالَمِينَ He says, if you extend your hand to kill me, I will not extend my hand to kill you, for I fear God, Lord of the worlds. Dear brothers and sisters, does this mean that Abel was a pacifist and was just going to allow his brother to murder him without him trying to defend himself in the least? That is not what it means at all. The scholars of Tafsir who comment on this verse mention that this was his way of warning his brother Cain, telling him that though he is filled with envy and rage, he, his brother Abel, is not going to contribute to the conflict. Though his brother is full of envy and rage, his brother Abel is not going to contribute and stir things up more and get drawn out into a fight. It's as if his brother is saying to him, though you may initiate this conflict, Though you may initiate this act of wrongdoing, I'm not going to respond with a similar act of wrongdoing. And that's a lesson for all of us. Because we may become victims of wrongdoing, but our response to oppression must never be oppression. Our response to dhulm cannot be with another act of dhulm. You cannot respond to darkness with darkness. As the Prophet ﷺ tells us, Oppression comes as layers of darkness on the Day of Judgment. You can only respond to oppression with justice. You can only respond to darkness with light. You do not respond to darkness with darkness. And so Abel is communicating this intention. He's saying to him, he's not saying that he's going to lay down and allow his brother to murder him. He's saying that I'm not going to contribute to this conflict and stir things up and make things worse than they are right now. And so he continues to warn his brother and give him advice before his brother did the deed of murder. So Abel says to his brother, as Allah mentions in the Quran, إِنِّي أُرِيدُ أَن تَبُوءَ بِإِثْمِي وَإِثْمِكْ فَتَكُونَ مِنْ أَصْحَابِ النَّارِ وَذَلِكَ جَزَاءُ الظَّالِمِينَ I would rather you bear my sin and your sin and you become among the denizens of the hellfire, such is the reward for the wrongdoers. We should pause here, because we know as Muslims that one person does not bear the sin of another person. If you are wronged by party A, no one can go and punish party B. If someone hurts your neighbor, they can't go and take vengeance on you because you didn't do anything. So what is going on here? When Abel says to his brother Cain, I want you to bear my sin and your sin, 
How do we reconcile that with the Quranic message of La Taziru Waziratun Wizra Ukhra? No soul bears the sin of another. The answer is that Cain is sinful on a variety of levels here. There's more than one sin going on. So Cain is being told by his brother Abel that I want you to bear the burden of my sin and your sin, meaning the sin of murdering me, if you carry it out, I don't want to incur sin. You will bear the burden of sin, the sin of killing me, and you'll also bear the burden of your own sin, of envy, of rancor, of rage, and so on. So there's layers of advice here. So first, Abel, the good brother, is telling Cain the reason why Allah accepted his sacrifice and rejected his brothers. Because it was based on sincerity, and it was the best of what he had. Then Abel is telling his brother Cain that he has no animosity towards him as a person, and that he's not going to get drawn into conflict and drama with him. And he links that to his personal fear of God. He's saying, if you extend your hand to kill me, I'm not going to extend my hand to kill you. Because why? Inni I fear Allah and the Lord of the worlds. I'm not going to respond to darkness with darkness. And then he warns him again, telling him that if things continue to escalate, you will bear the burden of killing me, and you will bear the burden of the sin of envy and rancor and the rage that is in your heart. So he's advising his brother. But did any of this advice benefit his brother Cain? Nothing benefited him. No advice benefited him. Nothing he said caused Cain to rethink his course of action. His envy and rage got the best of him. And Allah Ta'ala tells us in this story that after all of this was said between the two brothers, فَطَوَّعَتْ لَهُ نَفْسُهُ قَتْلَ أَخِيهِ فَأَصْبَحَ مِنَ الْخَاسِرِينَ then his ego prompted him to kill his brother. Cain's ego prompted him to kill his brother, and so he killed him and became one of the losers. This is very instructive for us, dear brothers and sisters. His ego prompted him. His ego encouraged him. His ego goaded him and justified for him and adorned for him this idea of murdering his own brother. You have to reflect on this, dear brothers and sisters. He doesn't go to Abel and say, Cain doesn't go to his brother Abel and say, I'm actually envious of you and I actually hate you and I'm going to unjustly murder you because I'm a wrongdoer. He doesn't say any of that. Maybe if he was honest with himself that he had these feelings, maybe that would have given him pause. Maybe he wouldn't have done it. But instead, he justifies it for himself. Allah says, His own ego got the best of him and justified for him this murder. It encouraged him, it goaded him, it pricked and prodded him, pushing him to do this ugly deed. And there's a lesson in that for us, dear brothers and sisters. Because most people who wrong others justify their oppression with delusions of their ego. Most people don't go out of their way to oppress people for the sake of oppressing, like they're some villainous figure. 
Most people who are oppressing other people have a whole laundry list of justifications for why they are oppressing people. Because it's coming from the ego. The ego wants to adorn and beautify their actions so they feel better off doing what they do. They don't want to sit there and live with the feeling that I'm the bad guy in all of this. That's how the ego plays games with people. So the lesson for us is we often do things against other people and our egos will give us the flimsiest justification. So the lesson is that we should not buy in to our own ego narrative and its justifications. We cannot blame other people for our crimes and our sins and our wrongdoing towards others. We cannot blame other people. We cannot blame society. We can only blame ourselves for what we do. That is a lesson. So he says, subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah says that his ego prompted him to kill his brother Abel. And so he killed him فَأَصْبَحَ مِنَ الْخَاسِرِينَ He killed him. And this was the first murder ever committed in human history. It is said that Cain did not have any prior experience with murder because this is the first murder. Which means that he didn't actually know how to take Abel's life. He just knew the idea of killing someone, but not the methods, not the how-to. And so it is said in the works of Tafsir that Shaytan took on a form and took a bird and crushed that bird with a stone, showing Cain one of the ways he could kill his brother Abel. And one of the narrations in the books of Tafsir mentioned that he went and strangled his brother Abel while he was sleeping. At any rate, he killed him. And then Allah says, فَأَصْبَحَ مِنَ الْخَاسِرِينَ He became one of the losers. How did he lose out? How did Cain become one of the losers? Wasn't he already a loser? He was already a loser. Because he lacked the sincerity in his sacrifice, giving bruised vegetables as his offering, while his brother gives a nice plump sheep. He already was a loser in that regard. But after the murder, his quality of being a khasir, a loser, was solidified. Ibn Abbas, he mentions why he was a loser. He says he became a loser in this world because by murdering his very own brother, he caused great pain and sadness to his parents, Adam and Hawa. Causing pain to your parents is a crime. It is an offense. It is wrongdoing to cause pain to your parents like that. And that pained his mother and father. He also became a loser in this world because he continues to be this negative figure mentioned in the sacred scriptures. And we do not speak well about him. And he becomes a loser in the hereafter because he bears responsibility and he bears a share of the sin for every single murder committed against a human being until the day of judgment. How do we know that? We know that because the Prophet ﷺ told us. He says in the sound hadith, لَيْسَ مِن نَفْسٍ تُقْتَلُ ظُلْمًا إِلَّا كَانَ عَلَى بِنِ آدَمَ الْأَوَّلِ كِفْلٌ مِن دَمِهَا لِأَنَّهُ كَانَ أَوَّلَ مَنْ سَنَّ الْقَتْلِ He says وسلم, that there is no one who is unjustly killed, except that the first son of Adam, Qabil, Cain, receives a share of the sin of the bloodshed. For it was he who 
Sanna al-Qatl, he inaugurated this practice of murder. I want you to imagine this, dear brothers and sisters. A human being, Cain, raised up on the Day of Judgment, and on his scale of bad deeds, every single murder ever committed. Think about that. The actual murders bear responsibility for their murder. Those who get away with it in this life and those who are caught and punished in this life still answer for it in the hereafter to varying degrees. They bear responsibility for their own actions. No sin, no soul bears the burden of another. But the one who instituted the practice, the one who got it going among human beings, takes a share of the sin of all of those murders. That is unbearable to imagine, having the sin of every single murder on your account. But that's what he faces. And so Allah says, فَأَصْبَحَ مِنَ الْخَاسِرِينَ He became one of the losers. But that's not the end of the story, dear brothers and sisters. The story continues. فَبَعَثَ اللَّهُ غُرَابًا يَبْحَثُ فِي الْأَرْضِ لِيُرِيَهُ كَيْفَ يُوَالِ سَوْءَةَ أَخِيهِ قَالَ يَا وَيْلَتَا أَعْجَزْتُ أَنْ أَكُونَ مِثْلَ هَذَا الْغُرَابِ فَأُوَالِ سَوْءَةَ أَخِي فَأَصْبَحَ مِنَ النَّادِمِينَ So then Allah Ta'ala sent a crow, digging, pecking in the ground to show him how to cover his brother's corpse. And he said, Woe unto me! I was unable to be like this crow and bury my brother's corpse. And so Allah says, he became full of regrets. This is the very first murder. He didn't know what to do after the crime. There's no prior experience to go on. In some of the tafsir narrations, it mentions that he carried the body around in a sack until he figured out what he could do. And he only figured out what to do by watching this crow peck at the ground to cover up the body of another crow. And when he saw that, he became filled with remorse. Allah says about him that after he saw this between the two crows, فَأَصْبَحَ مِنَ النَّادِمِينَ He became full of regrets. Now, what is he regretting? Think about this. We as Muslims believe that if you commit a sin, and you seek forgiveness of your Lord, and you feel remorse, that sin can be wiped away. The Prophet ﷺ said, Remorse is repentance. So if he's feeling remorse, why isn't he forgiven? Why does he bear a share of the sin of every murder committed after him? The answer is that his remorse was not because this was an offense to God and oppression against another human being. The reason why he was remorseful is that he was ignorant of how to dispose of the body. And seeing this happen with the two crows made him feel a little stupid because it seemed very obvious how to hide a body. Or he felt regret and remorse because he realized that murdering his brother would bring him no benefit, that he gains nothing from this at all. And so he regrets not getting a benefit from it. And how often have people have envy and gotten benefit from it? Very seldom does a person experience, uh, show envy to other people and actually benefit from it. He was also remorseful because by murdering his brother, he faced the consequences of earning the anger of his father Adam and his mother Hawa. So what that means, and is very instructive, is that his remorse was not a sincere remorse. It was a remorse over the second order effects of the sin. 
It was not remorse because it was an offense to God and it was a wrong to murder another human being. He was remorseful because of the consequences after the fact. How many times has a person done something wrong and they feel remorseful? Not because it is something disliked in the sight of God, but because they have to face the consequences for it. How many times has a person been caught in the act of something wrong and they feel sad and remorseful only because they got caught, not because of the act itself? That's what Cain was experiencing in this moment when he felt remorseful. But the psychological and spiritual lessons go even deeper than this. And this is why the story is a blueprint for understanding how we should understand uh, sins, justifications, envy and hatred, and so on and so forth. Some of the ulama of tafsir mention that when Cain saw the two, the rave, the crow bearing the other crow, he felt bad because apparently he thought that this crow has more mercy and kindness towards the other crow than he had towards his brother Abel. So it's as if he observes one crow bearing the other crow, and he says to himself, is this crow more merciful to that crow than I am to my own brother? Does that mean he's regretting the murder? Maybe he's regretting the second order effects and consequences, but ultimately what he's regretting, what he's feeling bad about, is that when he observes the crow bearing the other crow, he feels sad because seeing that has hurt his own self-image. He wanted to maintain this image of the good guy, but he realizes in all of this, I'm not actually the good guy. So it's a very deep psychological lesson that oftentimes people feel remorse because they want to maintain this image of being the good guy. They live their life as if they are the hero of their own movie, like everything's a movie and they're the hero. But in order to escape that delusion, dear brothers and sisters, just like the person has to walk out of the theater into the sunlight, we have to walk into the light of guidance to see out of those delusions. We have to understand the meaning of sincerity, the true meaning of remorse, the meaning of envy and jealousy and how to remove those things from us. How do we become more like Abel and less like Cain? This is something that has to be discussed, uh, not just once, not just twice, but it has to be a pivotal lesson that we go back to time and time again, because without dealing with the root causes of our own hatred, envy, jealousy, and these attitudes, there is no spiritual progress. So we ask Allah Ta'ala to remove from us these qualities of anger, of anger, unjust anger, unrighteous anger, envy, jealousy, rancor, and cunning. And we ask Allah to replace them with their opposites, to replace them with forbearance, with satisfaction with Allah's decree, with sincerity and wanting good for others. Ameen. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa afdulu salati wa atamu taslimi ala Sayyidina Muhammadin al-Sadiq al-Ameen. Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man istanna bi sunnatihi ila yawmaddin wa ba'd. Dear brothers and sisters, as we said in the first khutbah, this story of Cain and Abel is a pivotal story for us that Allah mentions in the Qur'an as it recounts to us the story of the first sins committed among human beings. The sin of insincerity, 
of cutting corners, of envy, of jealousy, of rage, and murder, and ego, justifying all sorts of crimes. And the Prophet ﷺ warned us against all of these. But in particular, he warned us against the crime of envy or hasad. As the Prophet says, إِيَّاكُمْ وَالْحَسَدِ فَإِنَّ الْحَسَدِ يَأْكُلُ الْحَسَنَاتِ كَمَا تَأْكُلُ النَّارُ الْحَطَبِ He says, beware of envy. For envy consumes good deeds just as fire consumes firewood. Envy eats up the good deeds because it leads to anger. It leads to pride. It leads to jealousy and resentment and hatred. It leads to gossip and backbiting. It leads to us wanting bad things for other people. It leads to us feeling happy when bad things happen to other people, when they suffer. And as a person becomes more jealous and envious with other people in their life, the more they come to take on these satanic qualities. These are not natural human qualities to have, dear brothers and sisters. Shaytan, Satan, worshipped Allah in the company of the angels. But when he refused to prostrate to Adam do you think that his past deeds benefited him one bit? They did not benefit him one iota. This means that for us, dear brothers and sisters, there is no spiritual elevation. There is no nearness to Allah Ta'ala if we have the qualities of Cain and do not work to have the qualities of Abel. And that is why it is incredibly important on us for us to focus on this story and its lessons for us. Which means basically cultivating sincerity, cultivating unpretentiousness and simplicity in our devotional life. Doing the best that we can while being humble, as Abel was humble in what he offered. To banish envy and jealousy and rancor from our hearts. To not be instigators of drama, of fitna, and not contributing to that further. And to be remorseful for our mistakes. To be remorseful for the things we do wrong, and to not involve our ego in justifying the wrong things that we do. If we take on these qualities of Cain, we will progress spiritually as Muslims seeking the pleasure of Allah Ta'ala. But without these, it's all a pipe dream. It's all a delusion. And we're going to flounder between confusion and chaos and false hopes. Because one of the great failures, I believe, in our Islamic discourse today is how we are entertained with all of these amazing stories of great feats and spiritual heights that we will never attain because we are weighed down with basic and very, very ancient human follies like envy, resentment, jealousy, rancor, and egotistical and inflated self-importance. So by addressing the roots, removing these qualities, we become more like Abel and less like Cain. And that is the importance of this story for us not one time, not two times, but something we revisit every now and again as a reminder, as Allah tells us, And remind, for the reminder benefits the believers. O oh Allah, we ask you to grant us sincerity in word and in deed, and to remove from us 
all of the diseases of the heart that distance us from you and remove from us, O oh Allah, all envy, jealousy, rancor, resentment, and pride. Allow us, O oh Allah, to see blessings as coming from you and no other. And then give us gratitude and give us thankfulness and give us satisfaction and do not leave us to our own devices, Ya Allah. O oh Allah, make us more like Abel, the better of the two brothers, and not like Cain. Ameen. Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana wa fi akhirati hasana wa qina adab al-nar. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad, abdika wa rasulika al-nabiyyirumi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallima tasliman kathira bi qadri azamati thatika fi kulli waqtin wahin. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun. Wa salamun ala al-mursalina wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen wa qum ila salatikum.